It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ every weekday morning from our studio on the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Welcome to the Friday edition of Daily Thunder. An odd version, especially since we just launched our new series, uh, which is going to be in studio. And so this is supposed to be in studio. It's supposed to be Nathan and I uh, going through a discussion question, which ironically, Nathan and I have really enjoyed these discussions. So it's hard for us not to be doing what we're, quote unquote, supposed to be doing. But we all agreed that because of the nature of what we're going through in our country and in our world right now, we really felt that just to have a a little series. So this week, the five days of this week, we've been going through a series that is entitled A Christian Response to a Crumbling America. How does a Christian respond to this? What are we supposed to do? How do we think? How do we act in the midst of this? Many of us have felt so helpless. I remember this scene, I think it was in a movie called Sense and Sensibility, where you have the character Colonel Brandon who's standing outside of a, a room where this girl that he loves is inside and she's struggling with health and you know trying to survive. And uh, Colonel Brandon is standing outside sort of with beads of sweat uh, pouring down his face and he longs to do something, but he's not the doctor. He's not the one in position to actually do anything. So as a result, someone comes up to him and says, Colonel Brandon, and he says, please give me a job. I want something to do. I can't just stand here and do nothing. He's a man. He's built to do something. Boy, have I felt that in the midst of this. You see, but we do have something to do. There are tactics, there are strengths, there are tools, there are instruments of war, there are military weapons that we have been given as the church of Jesus Christ. We just need to be reminded of this. We need to have that kindled afresh in our understanding right now in this hour. And so I'm calling this revolutionary tactics, which sounds sort of dangerous, right? And you're like, Eric, wow. You see, a revolution is like a sudden hostile overthrowing of a government to institute and install a new governmental system. And that's in a sense what the kingdom of heaven is all about, which is why there's a threat. The governors and the kings and the princes of this earth feel threatened by King Jesus because he rules all, he's over all, and all things are beneath his feet. I guess I I wouldn't blame them. If you're trying to hold on to your uh, kingdom and Jesus is like, hey, that belongs to me, I could understand if you didn't want to give it up why he would be deemed a threat. However, his tactics for overcoming hostile empires and hostile souls is actually very different than what we would expect. And so that's what I want to go into because the revolutionary tactics that he has given to us are surprisingly different than the way we would typically think they would be. And they don't sound very powerful on the outside looking in. And yet they're the most powerful tools in the universe. The way Jesus won the victory at the cross was very backwards from what most of us would have guessed. If someone told you and you didn't know anything about the cross, it's like, did you hear that God came to this earth and he like trounced all the powers of evil, all the powers of death and sin and won a victory? And then you were to say, okay, pause. How do you think he did it? Oh, I don't know. He was like, probably, I mean, he's God. He's probably just full of muscle and he came down and just destroyed him just with one you know sweep of his right hand just destroyed anyone that would dare stand against him no he was stripped naked beaten scourged with a cat of nine tails had to carry his cross humbled brought low hung naked like a bloody pulp of a man on a tree and died that doesn't sound very impressive does it but he didn't just die he died loving 
He died with mercy. He died whispering forgiveness. It's like, okay, how does that change the world? Well, that's what I want to meditate upon. It's a revolutionary tactic. And so this is a collection of thoughts on this exact thing. It's like, what do we do as Christians in a crumbling nation? We behave as Christians. That's what we do. You see, one of the reasons our nation's crumbling is that Christians haven't been behaving as Christians. We've been behaving like the world. But if this world is going to turn around, if a crumbling nation can actually regain its footing when those that are called by God's name humble themselves and pray and seek his face and turn from their wicked ways, and they begin to live according to God's ways again. So let's just remember that. How does Jesus win his battles? And so let's look at just a collection of scriptures here. We have Ephesians 6.12, and it says, We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against the spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So right there, you're seeing the fact that God's battles are different than earthy battles. They are heavenly. That's where he strikes. He hits in the heavenlies, and as a result, changes the earth. 2 Corinthians 10.4. The weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. The weapons that we use as Christians are not of this earth. They're not carnal. They're not something that is derived from my own physical uh, abilities. They're derived from heaven. In John 18, 36, this is in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would fight so that I should not be delivered to the Jews, but now my kingdom is not from here. Jesus' logic right there. See, if, my, if I had an earthly kingdom, I would fight in an earthly way, but I have a heavenly kingdom, so I'm going to fight this in a heavenly way. We are now a part, grafted into a heavenly kingdom, so what is our thoughts? We can't fight as if we are fighting for an earthly kingdom. We're fighting for a heavenly kingdom, therefore we need to fight it in a heavenly way. Very important right now. So I call this the upside-down kingdom. It's a term that I've had in my head. I don't know where it came from. I'm sure someone said it to me years ago, but this is the way I've always sort of looked at it, is the upside-down kingdom. See, God does have a kingdom, but it's rather odd when you look at it with the eyes of this earth. So here's a quick description to explain the odd, where the servant of all is the greatest of all. So that's an odd kingdom. Where the servant of all is the greatest of all, it's upside-down, it's backwards, and yet that's the pattern of the kingdom. So to understand this upside-down nature, you need a word to clothe it, and that's the word gentleness. So gentleness is sort of the upside-down nature of God. It's the fact that he doesn't respond as everyone would guess he would. You see, when someone bops you in the nose, what's the normal human response? Well, to get offended and to bop someone back. But gentleness is the opposite. It is doing that which a human wouldn't typically do because they are empowered by God to respond in a different way a gentle way. So what is gentleness? It's the opposite of the normal human response. It's the God response to any and every situation. So how do you give a God response? Well, if you don't have God, you can't give a God response. You know the way to give a God response is that God needs to move into this body and needs to dwell here and needs to control here? This needs to be his home. We need to be filled with the Holy Spirit so that this hand behaves as God's hand would. These eyes look where God's eyes would look. This mouth speaks what God's mouth would speak. This mind thinks what God would, God's thoughts would be. This heart beats with his burdens. These feet go where he would go. You see, we're supposed to be the body of Christ. 
And when the body of Christ is indwelled by Christ himself, then Christ's behavior can begin to come forward, and that's gentleness. It's a broad covering, like an umbrella over all the behaviors of Christ. So here's another definition of gentleness. This is a, this is a fun one. What is gentleness? Well, if evil strikes, it's goodness. If judgment pelts, it's mercy. If hate, it's love. If darkness, it's light. If death, it's life. If rudeness, it's kindness. If mockery, it's silence. If disdain, it's forgiveness. If it's reviling, it's blessing. You see, it's always going to be the opposite of what is being dished out. Gentleness has many expressions, but they are all as Christ is in the midst of behaviors that Christ is not. I'm going to read that final line again. Gentleness has many expressions, but they are all as Christ is in the midst of the behaviors that Christ is not. We are in a world right now, in this country, where we have a lot of behaviors that are not Christ. And yet, our job is to be as Christ is in the midst of it. Not to be as the world is. Capital riots is behaving as the world is. We behave as Christ is. Titus 3, 1 through 2. This is a pastoral letter, and so what we have is an understanding of how we as Christians are supposed to work. And this is a reminder to the church. Remind them, speaking of us as the church, to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good deed, to malign no one, to be uncontentious, gentle, showing every consideration for all men. So we are to live in a world which has leaders, and those leaders could be good or bad. It makes no difference on our behavior. Our behavior is as Christ. Now, if those leaders ask us to behave in a way that isn't Christ, then we have to be gentle and behave as Christ, right? In other words, we still have to behave as Christ, even if behaving as Christ becomes illegal. If it became illegal to love, we would still love. If it became illegal to share the good news of Jesus, we would still share the good news of Jesus because our authority comes from high above earthly authority. It's Jesus Christ that has commissioned us, and he's the king of all kings. We have a commission. We have a legal position on this matter. So, but we are to be not contentious, but gentle, showing every consideration for all men. See, that's not what normal men do. Normal men are not gentle. You need God in order to be gentle. 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12 Finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers. Be tender-hearted. Be courteous. Listen, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. So if evil comes your way, you don't return evil. If reviling comes your way, you don't give back reviling. But on the contrary, blessing. See, this is the picture of gentleness. Knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. For he who would love life and see good days... Let him refrain his tongue from evil. Your tongue does not participate with the things that are on the tongues of the world. The tongues of the world. That sounds right. It sounded weird first. You don't do, you don't speak, you don't say what they are speaking and saying. You speak what Jesus would speak. And his lips from speaking deceit. Let me, let me say that again. For he would love life and see good days. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. But if you're doing good, the face of the Lord is shining upon you. 
The ultimate picture of gentleness? Well, here's what it is. It's during the greatest battle of all history. You see, the greatest battle of all history? It's the cross. It's the greatest picture of gentleness. It's the opposite. You see, mockery, revilement, hatred, abuse, murder. It's all coming at him. What's he giving? Life, love, mercy. Uh, I mean, everything about Jesus is the opposite of that scene, and yet he is going to endure that scene and become accursed for us. Oh, it's amazing. And that gentleness is going to win the victory. Isn't that an amazing thought? For us, it's really hard, especially as men, strong men, we want, to sh- we want to win the victory. We want to draw our sword and slice off some Malchus ears out there. And yet Jesus is going to say, no, that's not how it's going to be won. He's going to take Malchus's ear and stick it back on and rebuke us with that. He's going to look at us and say, that's not how I win my battles. You see, you have a battle, Eric, but it's not of this earth. You have weapons, but they're not of this earth. Wield the weapons that I've given you in the battle that I've assigned you, Eric, so that you can actually participate in what I'm doing. You see, Jesus is doing something, but Peter has been sleeping. And so he's not alert, he's not sensitive, he's not in stride with the work of the Messiah. May we not make the same mistake now. May we be wide awake right now and be in stride with the work of Jesus in this earth, which is a battle. It's a very real battle, but it's not a battle against flesh and blood. And there's real weapons that we need to be wielding, but they're not weapons of this earth. We need to be wielding gentleness. So Mark 15, 29, and those who passed by him, speaking of Jesus, wagging, wagging their heads and saying, aha, you who destroyed the temple and build it in three days. They're mocking him, guys. What's he going to do back? He's going to be silent. As it says in Isaiah 53, 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Uh, there's not a lot of us today that are not opening our mouth when we hear these things coming against us. You see, there is a need not to do nothing. You see, what Jesus is doing on the cross is he's not doing nothing. He's doing something. But the something in which he's doing is the work of grace. It's the work of gentleness. It's the work of love. It's the work of mercy. You see, he is giving himself. He is letting go of his own comforts. He's letting go of his own privilege so that others could have it. We have a job to do right now, and it's not nothing. It's not to stare blankly at the circumstances around us. It's to actively engage in this warfare, but with God's spiritual weaponry. Jesus' behavior. It is the opposite behavior of what is naturally coming out of you. <laughs> Whatever naturally comes out of you, yeah, that's, that's not the way Jesus is. I think it was this last week I, I gave the quote from my granddad, who was sort of a blustery farmer, funny guy. And uh, one of the days we were, I was with him, he was talking about politics. And he says, you want to know how I vote? I find out how Ted Kennedy votes and I vote the opposite. Well, that's a a reasonable thought pattern. That's sort of the way Jesus' behavior is. Look at the world. Yep, not like Jesus. You see, Jesus is the opposite behavior of this world. That's why he's called holy. That's what holy means, other than. He is other than this world. In fact, he's not just other than, he's other than. And he's not just other than, other than. He's other than, other than, other than. He's holy, holy, holy. So here's a few gentleness pointers that you can take uh, with you. These are life lessons, guys. This is some good stuff right here. First, delete the first draft. Have you ever had it where someone sends you sort of a salty email 
It's not very kind. In fact, it's rather mean. And it's offensive. And have you ever sat down and uh, written up an email and uh, sent it? And it gets you into even more trouble. In other words, it doesn't solve the problem. It actually escalates the problem. So here's the rule of thumb. You know that email that you drafted up right after you got it and you, all, you, know, you were stewing and all frustrated and mad and, and you just wanted to get back at them? You know that email? Yeah, delete that one. Mm-hmm. Now I want you to pray and get in the presence of God and ask for God's heart towards that person. And after maybe even a good night's sleep, maybe we can consider writing a different draft tomorrow. A draft that gives life, that quells the argument instead of inflames it. That gives love in the face of that attack. That gives mercy and patience and kindness instead of giving back the very thing that you just received. You see, that's a pointer. It's a gentleness pointer right there. Second one on the list. If you are really craving to speak, maybe you shouldn't. You ever had it where you really want to give a piece of your mind? Usually that's when you should keep silent. You see, the the rule of thumb... Oftentimes, I'm not saying guaranteed, because there's times when I really want to speak and God's leading me to speak. So it is possible. However, what we usually mean by I really want to speak is we really want to get something off our chest. We really want to get something straight to someone so that they can feel it. That's usually when you're supposed to be silent. So gentleness would be silent instead of speak. The third one, this is funny. If you really, really don't want to speak, maybe you should. You see, oftentimes in the moments when speaking is most needed is when we least want to speak. And that can be a signal. Again, it's the opposite of what you would typically want. But the Spirit of God is wanting to train you to be other than this world and to do other than this world would do. Number four, remember gentleness is a weapon against the powers of darkness, so wield it. I know it doesn't sound powerful, gentleness. Even the word is sort of mushy and weak-sounding. And yet this is a weapon. You have weapons of warfare that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. They're not of this earth. They're from heaven. And gentleness is one of them. So wield it. And number five, the Holy Spirit meets us in the impossible moment. When things are difficult and in and of yourself you couldn't respond as Christ, like for instance you're hanging on a cross and you've been falsely accused, what's your instinct? To defend yourself. Say, hey guys, you got the wrong one. I'm innocent. I didn't do any of these crimes. However, in that impossible moment, if you're willing, the Holy Spirit will invade the moment and grant you everything you need for life and godliness, everything you need for the proper response. And that's a guarantee to all of you right now. Everything you need for this hour, this time period, this stretch, no matter what is up ahead in the upcoming months and years, everything that you need has been supplied. The Holy Spirit loves impossible situations and he loves being God. He loves to function with the full power of majesty in us to reveal Jesus in the impossible situations. To be love when love seems so hard. When to be merciful when, oh, you really don't want to give mercy. To be long-suffering and patient. Oh, when you really want to just get at it. You see, Jesus supplies you everything you need. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26 The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. If perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What do we need? To see people repent? To see people come to a knowledge of the truth? Gentleness. Christ set the pattern. 
his behavior, though opposite, is the correct behavior, and it's the pattern we should both esteem and adopt. 1 Peter 2, 21 and 23. Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example, that you should follow his steps, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously. Guys, an example has been given to us in Jesus Christ. But it's not just that he set this example and said, hey guys, I know you can't follow it, but at least I wanted to show you how it's supposed to be done. No, he sets an example and then gives us his Holy Spirit and says, Eric, even though I know you can't do it, would you allow me to come in and do it in you and through you? Gentleness may not be esteemed in this world, but it is esteemed in heaven. And I, for one, want to bear witness of its power in and through my life, but I want us as the church to be stirred at the depths of our being to say, God, I want to do this your way. I don't want to fight a carnal battle. I don't want to fight against flesh and blood. I want to fight the way you have taught me to fight. Father, train our hands for war, but spiritual war. Teach us how to wield the weapons of our warfare, the weapons that are spiritual weapons, that are mighty to the pulling down of strongholds. Lord, may we not waste our time messing with earth weaponry and in earthen battles, but may we, Lord Jesus, be lifted up to fight the right battles right now. It's in the precious name of Jesus that we ask this. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder is streamed daily, Monday through Friday, from our studio in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekend church service is delivered live and streamed at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellersley.com. Note that our live weekday in-person version of Daily Thunder is scheduled to resume this upcoming June in conjunction with our training season. Learn more at ellersley.com. Thanks for listening. Thank <laughs> you.